and welcome to the weekly review with Roman. Today is Friday, November 4th, 2016. I'm in a pretty good mood considering that the world is falling apart, so that's a great thing. Gotta stay positive. A lot of us recognize that in a few days there will be this election, and it's definitely been stressing out pretty much everybody. People are fighting. People who usually were on the same side are now fighting amongst one another. Um, everyone's afraid of fascism. Although fascism's been around, it's been in the country, it's been here, and now it's rearing its ugly head, and people are being more upfront about it. And we have candidates, two of whom, one's more covert white supremacist, one's more overt white supremacist, and people are upset about that. And uh, it, things are falling apart, and people are afraid. And I feel like that's that's my perspective anyway. Of course, people are welcome to disagree with me. And... I do appreciate that the the saying, if, if voting were to change anything, they would make it illegal. And I do agree to an extent. There are, of course, a lot of uh, local propositions. And I feel like if folks were to also pay as much attention locally as they were to the presidential debate, that could change things. And I also recognize, I think, most of the changes that are made are made by people who don't work within the system. Let's let's talk about the folks at Standing Rock, who are the water protectors, who are out there protecting the land and protecting the earth for everybody Let's talk about the folks marching in the street to get the, the police chief in San Francisco fired. These are so, like the, the Haymarket riots, like so many things that have changed, actually made change where the people coming together, not people necessarily being elected. And I'm not, to say, not saying that like certain people who do find positions of power can push things, the agenda in a certain way that is positive for people. I do feel that more often than not, it's people on the outside who make the change. We don't really hear about that because I think it makes people feel powerless to, um, well, the goal is to make people feel powerless. The idea is that, oh, if you vote for something, then your work is done and you can just go home and forget about it and not partake in the world, not use your time and energy and effort to change the world and not to help each other. And people are, there's also this idea that what people do online isn't, um, isn't helpful. There's a, like a term called like armchair activism, which is seems pretty ableist actually, because there's a lot of ways that folks can help one another. And by being there, not everyone's able to be there in person. And I think it's really important to recognize that even spreading the word, I shouldn't say even, just spreading the word, getting the word out, doing, there's a lot of ways that folks, there's not just one way to be revolutionary. There's not just one way to make a difference and to make change and to help one another. And we're taught that, that it's limited. And we're actually taught not to make change, actually. We're taught that everything's fine and that, oh, everything's good. Nothing needs to be changed. And I think that's a crock of shit. Most folks I know agree. And the, dis the disagreements come with how do we do, what do we do to change those, those things? How do we go about who do we elect if we elect someone? I saw a great bumper sticker the other day. I didn't take a photo of it. This happens all the time. I see something, and I'm like, oh. And I had a phone on me. I could have taken a photo, but I didn't. I was biking past, and it was a photo photo it was a bumper sticker that said nobody 2016 and i was like yes <laughs> totally i did vote went to city hall fun fact it's not that fun but you can go to city hall and vote early at least in san francisco hopefully in other places as well you can beat the crowds you can get it out of the way for what it's worth there's a lot of local propositions on the ballot no on 60 yes on s no on q and r those are some big ones um that really there's also just like death penalty like there's a lot of things happening that it's important to uh to speak out about so, yeah, you can vote early at City Hall. Just show up, and that's pretty cool. Awesome. Do it. As I was mentioning before, Standing Rock. So we've been talking a little bit about it, a little bit, a lot about it, because it's a big deal, and it's, it's just representative of what this country's been, this nation has been based on, and that's stealing land from people and using violent tactics to do so. 
and the mainstream media hasn't really been covering it until very recently. And the two main presidential candidates seem to have investments in the energy companies, so they're not really uh, they're not really speaking up about it. Although Hillary Clinton finally said something about it, and please please know that I think Trump is disgusting as his followers and Mike Pence. I th- I won't say anything violent on the show. Although we live in a violent world and we are violently attacked all the time, but uh, for those those two people, um, I wish them to. I'm trying to think of like a really peaceful peaceful but i'm full of rage i'd rather them just step down and never hear from them again which is a very kind and generous thing for me to say for people that preach hate that's a very kind thing for me to say i'd rather not hear from them again and at the same time it's also important to acknowledge that this other person running is has done a lot of problematic things too and i think and and i get that there's a lot of misogyny based on people's reactions to her i get that and that fucking sucks and there's also a lot of other, like, there's plenty of women who have been running for president for a long time, so this is not the first person to do so. And I feel like she should be held accountable for her actions. And when she says that uh, the people protecting the land are just as important as the people working on the pipeline, I don't think that's that's very fair at all, because she has invested interest in the, getting that pipeline built. And I don't think, you know, we can trust someone in a position of power like that. So... Uh, one thing I was going to read is from the Healing Collective. So they're asking folks for co- to go to Standing Rock to uh, think about why you're going, first of all, because a lot of folks have decided to go, but also just to recognize why people are going. And they've compiled the list here. And this is, um, I posted this on the Weekly Review page, which is through Facebook, which I know is problematic, but it's a Weekly Review. It's go to facebook.com slash weeklyrev. If you're thinking about going to Standing Rock, first of all, thank you. The whole world has been moved and inspired by the water protectors at Standing Rock, and many people feel called to go there. It's important to think through whether you will be able to contribute best by going in person or by doing support work from home. They have good reasons to go. To commit civil disobedience, blocking construction of the pipeline, to do needed physical labor, to deliver supplies, to bring a necessary skill, to bring messages of support from your national or tribal group and share your traditional ceremony and culture, to support the presence of young people or elders, um, and or to provide media coverage and documentation. Not good, re- not good enough reasons would be to experience indigenous culture and wisdom, or because it seems cool, or curiosity. Do not go to Standing Rock just to see. Every person in camp needs to pull their weight and contribute in substantial ways. Important notes. Elders and families with children are welcome. Families must see to the safety and well-being of their children. Uh, Currently, which is as of late October 2016, the main camp has moved north closer to a major highway. Law enforcement has made it clear that anyone at the new camp is risking arrest. If you are coming and arrestable, camp at the new camp. The leadership has implored supporters to be here and to be ready to be a physical barrier to block the arrival of the black snake making its way quick toward us with militaristic police presence at its head. If you cannot be arrested, consider camping at the old camp or south camp. What is the best way for me to support Standing Rock? There are many, many ways to support the water protectors at Standing Rock. If you are considering going there in person, please read the document Joining Camp Culture to understand what's expected of allies at the camps. The situation at Standing Rock is constantly changing. Check with the websites and Facebook pages of the different camps to determine whether you're able to provide the specific kinds of support most needed. You can go to um, one site is 
Osetsakawin Camp, which is O-C-E-T-I-S-A-K-O-W-I-N camp.org or facebook.com slash redwarriorcamp, sacredstonecamp.org or facebook.com slash standingrocksolidaritytraining or standingrocksolidaritynetwork.org. Right now, in October, November 2016, the most pressing needs are people to commit civil disobedience to stop the pipeline and be arrested. Uh, there are urgent calls for as many people as possible to come and take part in direct nonviolent actions. People who can help with the physical labor of preparing for the winter. This includes moving equipment and supplies to the winter camp sites, building structures, sorting donations, and much more. Lawyers who can join the legal support team and be observers of police conduct media people who can document the water protectors' peaceful prayers and resistance and police conduct and can risk arrest. And this document was created by so, uh, Solidar, Solidar Team, a collective of trainers. Uh, it's Creative Commons license. So again, you can find that on the Weekly Review page, facebook.com slash weeklyrev. So for folks who are interested in going, please know uh, just some things to know ahead of time. So really, really great to think about that. And I'm glad that these that the folks have put this forward because they're also also looking for healers and doctors, uh, lawyers, folks who can go and really help. And I've heard of, you know, people, more and more people heading out there. And I think that's wonderful. So we will have two guests on the show. Uh, they're here in the studio at the moment. Very excited to have them on. Um, and that is Antoinette Gaguero and Gilda Baker. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with them. And they'll be talking about Open Circle Families United for Justice. And Open Circle Families United for Justice uh, provides an opportunity to build community with one another, to offer support for families victimized by police misconduct, including police murder, and stand with the families in their struggle for justice for their loved ones. So they'll be coming on the show around 1230. Right now it's 1215. Have a few more things to rant about um, before we get started and yeah it's there's definitely a lot of uh, tension in the air but I feel like there's always been tension in the air for folks who are aware of what's happening there's always been tension and I feel with social media more and more people are now becoming aware of that and it's interesting to see more and more people wake up <sighs> I am grateful for there are the moments there are a few fleeting moments when things do feel really connected and I'm grateful for that Earlier, about two weeks ago, I didn't get to mention it on our last week's show. And last week's show did happen. Our, the station, the stream was down last week, so unfortunately, people were unable to listen live. Had two great guests, uh, Jeffrey and Sterling, and they recorded some, performed some music and some poetry. And we have the recording of that, and it will hopefully be up on the website sooner rather than later, but we have that. So for folks who want to listen, just keep on checking in with mutinyradio.fm, and hopefully the, the accurate version of that show will be uploaded in the near future. So a few weeks ago, um, so I'm, I'm a big proponent of mental health care. I think everyone should have access to mental health care, uh, all, all health care. Everyone should. It's not even a question. And especially during some difficult times. And uh, there's a thing that I think happens to many folks when folks are seeing a therapist that during the really difficult times, that's when one's therapist might decide to go on vacation or is out of town. And it's just one other thing to deal with. And I realize I'm in a privileged position that I can you know, I'm able to see someone. And so my therapist was out of town. And so I was seeing a backup therapist, which was cool and helpful. And I had a heavy session, as a lot of sessions are. And I went outside and just breathing and feeling kind of heavy about the world. And I recognize a lot of my own personal stuff that's happening is also, there's a lot of, a lot of the political things that have happened and also just dealing with grief throughout the year. And I've got some handouts I might check in with later. Um, join a bereavement group, which is pretty awesome, and they have a handout of just reactions to grief, and I feel like that's not discussed very much in this culture. Um, 
I think emotions are not discussed very much in this culture, which is uh, at the detriment to absolutely everyone. The, the, the idea that we can't talk about our feelings and our emotions and we're supposed to just kind of carry on as if nothing has happened, I think is really problematic. So in dealing with this and recognizing all these other factors are going into like how I'm dealing with the world, uh, I was in the therapy session, it was heavy, and was outside and was unlocking my bike, <sighs> taking my time pretty slow, and was in the hate and the hate district for folks who are unfamiliar with San Francisco, not hate as an H-A-T-E, although a lot of things do make me angry, as I think they should if you're awake and aware of the world. So I'm there, I'm unlocking my bike, and uh, a truck pulls up, and the windows are down, and there's some, I guess, like some foliage, foliage in the back, and there's a guy at the steering wheel, sunglasses, and the song that's playing on the radio is Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., and it was really loud, and it was really nice to hear that song, because I love that song, and uh, I remember when it came out, it was just really healing to hear a, a song that was popular that's very like, yep, everyone everyone uh, goes through some tough times, and it's important to recognize that and take care of yourself and take care of each other, and it's okay, and hold on. And it was this really beautiful moment that just at that time, you know, he was stopped at the light, and he was right there in front of me, and I sighed, and I breathed, and I looked over at him, and I smiled, and he looked at me, and he smiled back, and I was like, oh, the world's okay. Things are all right. And then after a few moments, the got the green light and he started driving. And then I see on the back of his windshield, he had a Hillary sticker. And I was, <laughs> I was disappointed since I'm not necessarily a, a big fan of, of Hillary's. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is why we can't have nice things. And I know there's a lot of folks out there who do, who do support her. And I keep on saying, and I'll say it every week, in an ideal world, we would have no leaders. And beyond that, I would love to have women, all women in positions of power. Absolutely. Um, so my, my feelings about her are not based on gender. It's based on policy. And if the conversation could extend to that, I think that would help a lot of people. And I do recognize that a lot of what she's faced in her life has been misogyny and that's just disgusting and makes me sad. And also just this idea that folks need to kind of assimilate to this aggressive masculine, like, I mean, even the words aggressive and masculine, I can, that can be de deconstructed and that can be problematic and even labeling those words, but just the fact that um, this kind of moderate, like aggressive, like war, I mean, war is fucking aggressive though. And I just can't get behind folks who support war. I really, really can't. And it's been difficult seeing people who, it feels like that's almost in like an inevitable option and that really breaks my heart. Um, so again, then, what are the what are the options, though? And it feels like we're not given a lot of options, but as I said before, the real change comes from people on the outside. It comes from people who are not elected officials. It comes from everyday people. Um, they make the change in the world, and they make things a lot better for everyone. And I feel if more, more folks could see that, um, we'd feel a lot more powerful, because that's, I mean, it's not necessarily taught. Um, it's not really taught, but I think that's really how things are. Um, and that's part of the reason I really like doing this show is being able to meet with folks who, who do just that, um, who do take the action. And I sit here, I feel like I am an arm, maybe an armchair activist is another word for it. Like I kind of sit here and I talk about it and talk about things that are happening. And I like to provide space for people who are, who are really doing the work and are creating these actions to make the world better. And I feel like so often the powers that be want to silence us. They want to silence the people who are doing the work who are combating against the state. And we need, I mean, people have been fighting back for such a long time. 
And I'm glad that people are beginning to wake up and to realize that. <sighs> so that's a pretty somber rant. Usually when I go through the news stories, and there'll be some more towards the end of the program, I'm sure there'll be something that will kind of set me off. And I don't know how much of it is just, I don't want to resign to the fact that things are the way they are because there's so much that needs to change. Um, and then I also think it's really important for self-care and to take care of oneself so we can continue fighting and continue to make that difference. So it's about 1222. Um, as my guests are here, I'll probably put on some music right now and then uh, have them come in and they can speak and share a bit about Open Circle. Really looking forward to having them. Very grateful that they're here. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Weekly Review on Mutiny Radio. Uh, coming up following this program will be Women's Magazine with Global Val at 2 p.m. And after that is the Common Thread Collective. Yeah, this is Mutiny Radio. We're also available on iTunes. So stay tuned, and we'll be back in just a little bit.
All right, and welcome back to the weekly review. I'm joined here by two wonderful people, um, Antoinette Gajero and Gilda Baker. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, just uh, get everything all set up here. Um, so, we'll be talking about Open Circle, which I mentioned before. And I'll just read another brief description of Open Circle. Uh, it's uh, Families United for Justice. Uh, Open Circle Families United for Justice provides an opportunity to build community with one another, to offer support to families victimized by police misconduct, including police murder, and stand with the families in their struggle for justice for their loved ones. So, yeah, please. Um, we can pretty much start with um, anything you'd like to share about yourself and or the organization, um, either either of you, yeah. Okay, thank you. I'm Antoinette Gajero, and uh, a little bit about me and how I got into this work is uh, when the day that um, they refused to indict for the Mike Brown case, um, there were uh, there were protests right here in Oakland, and just a few blocks from where I lived, they took the freeway there on I think it was five eight. Oh yes, yes. And I was scared. I was at home, and I heard booms and bangs, and so I posted on Facebook, "Did I just hear gunshots?" And my sister, she said, "No, those were fireworks, and this is a very important work. This is a very important thing that we're doing." And I was like, "Okay." And so I sat with that, and I thought about it, and the next day, I realized, well, that night I was like, oh, this is not something I should be afraid of. This is something I should really contemplate the import of it. Yes. So the next night, I went out, and I took to the streets with the people. Yes. I took to the freeways, and then I continued doing that for some time. After that... Uh, a, a collective called Edge City Collective, uh, they um, called for a general assembly to come together to see what we could do to, um, to, to combat this refusal to uh, represent the people. Yes. So I went to that, and it was a beautiful moment where people were uh, collaborating. They were bringing forth ideas. And unfortunately, they weren't able to continue it. Uh, however, uh, myself and some other comrades thought, you know, this is such a powerful uh, occasion. I think it would be important to carry it forward. Yes. And that was the birth of Open Circle Families United for Justice. And that was about two years ago. Oh, wow. And we've continued it ever since then. And in the meantime, it woke me up to my own experiences as an indigenous person. Mm -hmm. My whole life, I spent uh, sort of wa whitewashed. I thought I was white. <laughs> and uh, I was a yuppie. And I had what I thought was white privilege, mm -hmm. even though I was still the butt of people of color jokes. So it wasn't until these events started happening and I recognized the disparity of, of people of color being targeted by law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that it doesn't happen to uh, white people, but the disparity is stunning mm -hmm. and, and devastating. Yeah. And it brought to mind my own experiences uh, as a person of color. For instance, when I was 11 years old, uh, I lived in, a, in Montana in a predominantly white uh, community. And the school I went to, again, the, it was... Uh, Five, kindergarten through uh, 12th grade, and they hated me. 
they attacked me as soon as we were there. It was around Easter time, and they called me Chocolate Bunny, and uh, they called me Mud Pie. And towards the end of that school year, there was the big, you know, end of school celebration, and there was swimming. Uh, so I was swimming in the pool. Well, I didn't swim very well. I was just kind of waiting. And um, these racist kids, they picked me up, and they threw me into the deep end. And they tried to murder me by drowning. Fortunately, somebody saw me just sink to the bottom, and they, you know, just took pity on me and threw me back into the shallow end. And I looked around at the lifeguards, and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? Do I report it? Yeah. And I, I didn't. I didn't know what to do. There were, there were no advocates for me. Also, during that school year, I was uh, attacked by an, another schoolmate um, who was white. I was down on the ground. She was choking me, and I, the principal stood over us, and I begged, please help me. And he stood over us laughing. Mm. So that is not the end of uh, my trials as a person of color and racist attacks. However, coming into this work woke me up to that, and I realized that I am a person of color. I'm brown, not white, and I am finally proud to identify as an indigenous person. With Open Circle, um, it, it, has, um, it has developed into a wonderful community experience where families who have been directly impacted by police misconduct, many of them, as, as with the case of Gilda Baker, who lost her son, Dial O'Neill, to the CHP hit and run, have lost their loved ones. And so we invite them to come, and community members have come. And so, uh, as you mentioned, we offer community support. Mm -hmm. It is not professional services, but it is the community. And it has just been a beautiful thing to see how uh, everyone is comforted despite the grief. And uh, particularly in our last open circle last month, I was, uh, I was so moved to see so many families come. And some of them have just lost their loved ones, like the family of Colby Friday, who mm -hmm. was killed in uh, Stockton recently. And so these new families came in and they were sharing their grief. And families who had lost their loved ones perhaps a year, two years, many years ago, were able to console them. They were able to understand their pain and grief. Mm -hmm. And they had so many questions. How do we pursue justice? And these families were able to come together, offer practical solutions, practical suggestions, as well as this overwhelming love, this instant sense of family. Mm -hmm. And so as a community member of Open Circle, we stand with these families who are fighting for their justice for their loved ones. And we do what we can to support them as these families are coming together and collaborating with one another. Mm -hmm. And I've seen powerful results with that. And so that is my expression of what Open Circle has meant to me. Yeah, that sounds like an incredible organization. I'd like to invite Gilda yeah. to talk a oh, little yes. bit about um, her experience in the loss of her son. Yes. Gilda? Yes, hi. Thank you for having me. Yes. Oh, where to begin? It's been 11 years since my son 
was killed, Diallo left my home riding a motorcycle and never returned. Uh, the end result was that he was murdered by a California Highway Patrol and his death was covered up. And uh, by me believing in law enforcement and the, the community, of the whole community of law, lawyers included, I went away, you know, believing that they weren't involved. And uh, several years later, my spirit wouldn't rest. I guess the loss was so tremendous in the, f the few initial years, traumatized by the event, you know, I kind of shut down. And when I set up to try and figure out exactly what had happened to my son, although they told me it was an accident, I wanted to know the details. And when I started to read through the horrific documents, no, I mean, let me just back up to say no mother, no family member should ever have to read the gory details of the death of their child, the death of their loved one, the uh, coroner's report, even the police reports are much too traumatizing for a family member and especially a mother or father to read. But anyway, I started to read through these documents and found so many inconsistencies. In fact, um, my, by my son dying on a city street, the city officials were supposed to conduct the investigation, whereas that didn't happen. The California Highway Patrol conducted the minimal investigation, which I found out should have been much broader than what they did. Mm -hmm. And the reason they minimalized the investigation was because of their involvement. But I didn't find this out until years later, reading through the gory details again, and then writing to all levels of law enforcement from the Department of Justice all the way down to the local officials, only to be ignored only to be rerouted, but never receiving any answers. So periodically I visited different organizations to see what was being done for people like myself mm -hmm. who had lost a loved one to police violence. And that's how I discovered Open Circle. And Open Circle has meant everything to me because it has, as Antoinette has said, brought families together who have like experiences, and sometimes it's not identical experiences, mm -hmm. but we all have suffered such tragedy by way of being discriminated against yes. by the people who are supposed to uphold the law mm -hmm. and support us by um, solving crime. They're committing the crimes against us. So coming to Open Circle has meant so much to me because at least now I have a voice. Mm -hmm. I have someone's ear, meaning the community's ear around what I faced 11 years ago, and I think the fact that it's happening so often, yes. and the fact that there are now cameras revealing what's happening, mm -hmm. people are now listening to what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Because in 2005, there were no camera, camera phones. There were multiple witnesses who told law enforcement what happened to my son, mm -hmm. but they exploited our grief, covered up the crime, and now I'm fighting for justice for my son, Diallo Neal. <sighs> Thank you for sharing that. That's yes. <sighs> it is traumatic. Yes, yes. And it's it's so common. I know that with um, 
Babin, now the the Guardian has uh, a site up called The Counted, which has been tracking um, police murders, and it's almost at 900 so far this year. And it's just continuing on, and... um, Thank you so much, Gilda, for being willing to tell your story. I, I can't imagine how difficult it is to to um, continue to open yourself to this grief and to reopen these wounds. And um, as a member of Open Circle, we really, really hope that you are able to get justice for D.L. O'Neill and uh, that we can support you along the way. I cannot imagine, even through my trials as a um, in uh, having been attacked by uh, with racist attacks, I still cannot imagine a mother's pain, a family member's pain to have lost their loved one at all, and particularly in such violent circumstances. And the fact that they cover it up yeah. and are allowed to walk away with this cover-up sitting on the desk. Yes. And I've gone to these very people. Like I said, I wrote to all levels of government, and I've basically been ignored. Not basically, I have been ignored. But um, I have to fight. The wound won't close. Yes. There need, I need closure. Yes. You know, I need to know who murdered my son. And I think there's an obligation that will finally be met mm-hmm. because we're all pursuing the same outcome yes. here, yes. you know, in the community. Yes. I'd like to mention uh, that uh, recently Open Circle has, uh, has uh, received help from other organizations, in particular uh, from Together We Stand. Mm-hmm. Sevgi Fernandez is the founder and president of that organization, and they are putting forth every effort to, um, to follow up on, in particular, up against the um, obstruction of justice from law enforcement right. and from the justice system. And so it's, it's amazing to see other organizations coming together and collaborating mm-hmm. to um, cover all basis of this pursuit for justice. Yes. So we uh, at Open Circle are really grateful uh, to Together We Stand uh, for their assistance, too. It's amazing. It's and really may amazing. I just say that uh, Together We Stand has had a hands-on process going with me. I get calls from the organization. Sevgi Fernandez has directly reached out to me to assist me, not only with my grief and trying to help minimize that, but asking me the hard questions so that she can help me to pursue justice for my son. Yes. And I always tell Antoinette and Sevgi, I can't thank them enough because before I was alone in my battle mm-hmm. and now I have people who are rallying with me to find justice yeah. and I'm very grateful to them. Yeah. yeah. Thank I'm, you, Gilda. Yeah, there's so much strength that I see and just resilience and I, c- I can't imagine, um, yeah. and I really appreciate you being able to share, and that's... Nothing okay. prepares you to... Yeah. Well, it didn't prepare me because, and I'll, I'll just say that, the idea of law enforcement killing my son, just, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. It was too 
audacious. It was unbelievable. It didn't make sense. So when they told me they weren't involved, my perception of law enforcement, they weren't involved. Mm -hmm. And only to find out, it just alters your whole, my whole way of thinking yes. that these people actually commit the level of crimes, murder, mm -hmm. that they do, not only against my family, but many, many families. Yes. And I stand with those families, and I'm grateful that you're standing with us yeah, with I, this avenue. Yes. It's, I mean, it's just, I'm, yes. sometimes it's difficult to find the words, and there's that emotion that's there, and... The frustration, I think, with, with folks who ref either refuse to see it or make excuses or give the, the bad apples theory, which is so frustrating, and so, or the victim blaming, and there's so many excuses for people who fail to realize the systemic issue, and not just in this country, but in many countries where there's the law enforcement is used against the people. Thank you for bringing that up, <clears throat> Roman, uh, because I've heard it's... it's <laughs> We've heard so many times that um, there are good cops and there are bad cops and that we shouldn't blame the good cops for <laughs> the act of an individual uh, bad cop. And I think it's important to recognize that it, it's not just the person, the cop or cops, that perpetrated the actual killing. It is all those, all cops, all police departments, yes. the justice system, mm -hmm. the injustice justice system. Justice in quotation marks, mm -hmm. I like yes. to think. <laughs> they are all bad cops. Mm -hmm. Anyone who protects. Mm -hmm. If it were a citizen, or excuse me, a member of the community mm -hmm. who was suspected of committing a crime against another person, uh, they, would, they would be very quick mm -hmm. to... Uh, indict mm -hmm. to per, to pursue uh, the charges, to pursue a conviction, Absolutely. to pursue maximum prison time, mm -hmm. and yet, and anyone who protected them would also be charged mm -hmm. with obstruction yes. for justice. Yes. Right. And so we can see the double standard here. Mm -hmm. So anyone who is uh, is obstructing justice as an is an accessory to the crime, and this is this shows us that it is not an individual uh, incident. Mm -hmm. This it is systemic. Yes. And so I'm really glad you brought that up because there's no such thing as a bad cop right. and then good cops. Mm -hmm. There may be people that have good intentions, mm -hmm. but again, if they are party to it, if they know anything about it, they need to come forward. Mm -hmm. They need to stand up for justice mm -hmm. and not hide behind the shield, hide behind the blue brotherhood. Yes. Or hide behind their fear for themselves. Right. In, in some respects, I understand it. And then I'd like to speak on the fact that there was a city of Oakland police officer who stated in the report that California Highway Patrol took control of the investigation. Me not learning that they weren't supposed to do that until I wrote to, to a higher level to find out they weren't even supposed to conduct that investigation. But I'm mentioning that officer 
because he was a semblance of a good cop. Mm-hmm. He tried to say what was going on, mm-hmm. but that's the only step he took. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't follow up with making sure that justice was met for my son. And that's the unfortunate part. He st- stepped back and allowed the uh, corruption to take over. Yes. And, and that's where we are with the whole department is at fault. Yes. I have a false police report. The officer who struck my son fleed the scene. There's no statute of limitations when somebody murders a person and flees the scene. Mm -hmm. So in time, it's coming because they can't get away from what they did. Mm -hmm. The hard facts are there. Yes. So they're going to have to step up Mm -hmm. at some point. Yes. Yes. It's overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. This is why I value Open Circle Families United for Justice so much, because no one family can can endure this grief on their own. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, have the Constitution to uh, fight the system. Yes, yes. And so uh, at Open Circle, we see, again, these families coming for ju- together for justice, mm-hmm. but we also see this uh, ability to really grasp what they're going through mm-hmm. so that they can carry each other through their grief and collectively gather the strength to pursue justice. Yes. And so we invite all families who've been affected by uh, police misconduct, mm-hmm. All families, because we can see, no matter how few, sometimes there's been one and some community members, sometimes there's been two, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes there's been many. Mm-hmm. And so we will continue to hold this space for them, because no matter how few or many, they need each other, and we need them as a community. Yes. Uh, another thing that I feel is especially beneficial to the community is that when they come and meet the families in person and they hear their stories in person and feel the expression of their grief, it becomes personal. Mm -hmm. It takes it off the flyer, black and white words on a page, a a one-dimensional picture, Mm -hmm. and into um, real life. And as, as more and more people from the community are joining together in this movement to end this corruption. I believe that, and it has been for me, it enables us to um, to uh, it just becomes so real that our determination to stand with them, mm-hmm. to stick with them, becomes more becomes stronger. Yes, becomes. We just become so much more determined mm-hmm. because it becomes personal to us. Yes. And so I've seen that again with members of the community, and uh, it's been it's been overwhelmingly uh, beautiful to me. Yes, and I think there's something really important about storytelling and telling one's own experience and just vocalizing it and getting it out of one's body in a way too, and just giving giving life to it and and being heard and being seen, especially in a culture that refuses to see and hear a lot of us and tells us that we're wrong. Um, to be around folks who validate that, I think is extremely important. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, so uh, another thing I want to um, 
to comment on is that earlier in your broadcast, mm -hmm. you mentioned, uh, you talked about uh, Standing Rock mm -hmm. and, and other, other um, ways that the community, that the people yes. have been affected, yes. not just by police violence. Mm. And so it reminds me of a, a quote by Angela Davis that I really hold dear. Yes. And it says, there can be no great triumph over racism without addressing capitalism, mm. sexism, homophobia, mm -hmm. transphobia, the environment that we live in, and the food that we consume. We have to recognize all of these connections. Yes. Again, that was by Angela Davis. Yes. She truly is one of my yes. heroes. <sighs> I wish she were running for president. Right? Yes, and it's interesting. I wrote to her during this period when I was seeking answers for my son, yeah. and she referred me back to one of the attorneys that I had already spoken with. So this belief system exists on so many levels mm -hmm. in terms of how justice is supposed to work, mm -hmm. but it has fought, it has broken so badly that yes. I hope that the powers that be embrace this, I don't know if embrace is the right word, but to realize that the system is broken yes. and they're traumatizing and killing people for no reason. Mm -hmm. I just want to finish up by saying that so often when you see someone being arrested or stopped by law enforcement, you think that person did something wrong. Well, that that's a myth today. Oh, yeah. That's a myth today. And I'll just. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. We have more time. So please feel free yeah, to share more. Just that it, again, to mention that it has changed my whole concept of how I view law enforcement mm -hmm. and how I view people. Yes. Because no more can I assume that that person that's being pulled over by law enforcement has done anything to warrant yes. being pulled over. Yes. No longer can I see a policeman and say, oh, that's my friend. No longer can I pick up the phone in honesty and call them mm -hmm. because the trust has been damaged so badly that I have to think twice. Yes. I'd have to be in such a... Uh, uh, very seriously uh, egregious situation in order yes. to even think about trusting them again. Yes. And that is so very sad mm -hmm. because not only myself, but so many families, and I think about the families who have not come forth. Mm -hmm. That comes to my mind all oh, the yes. time because I was them. That was me several years ago, you know, trying to get the attention towards what happened to my loved one. And there was there was no avenues. So again, open circle. Uh, Antoinette Gajero. Uh, together we stand. Sevgi Fernandez have been the pillars mm -hmm. in our communities. Yes. And I I just encourage people to come and join us and tell their stories. Yes. Yes. And that, that also, thank you for sharing that. That also makes me think about, I know there have been a couple of organizations recently that have been talking about alternatives to police and having sessions where folks can find how communities can take care of one another so folks don't feel like they, the police are the only options for people to call. And I really appreciate, because I recognize that there's a lot of problematic systems that are in place. And at the same time, we need to create other ways to support each other so we have something to move towards. Thank you for this support. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mentioned earlier about how no family is able to uh, to do this alone, and um, and really should not do this alone. 
And I've been contemplating uh, the fact that as a people, as the people, we can't stand alone. Even in smaller groups, we still need each other mm -hmm. because we won't be able to fight the system unless we become bigger and stronger than the system. Yes. And yes. as I say, we can't do it as a small group. Mm -hmm. We need to come together, all of us, and recognize that as a people, mm -hmm. we are stronger than them. Right. Absolutely. We can do this. And so I hope to keep up my own determination yeah. to uh, stand as um, in unity with the people. Mm -hmm. And as we see others doing the same, we're going to do it. Yes. Yeah. We're going to take down this system. Yes. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Antoinette. Yeah, thank you. And you're welcome. And that also reminds me of the, the Angela Davis quote you were speaking of, just talking about intersectionality and recognizing how many folks, I mean, a lot of it's based on our bodies that we've been born into and like our identities and how many of us are victimized or hurt by the state. Yeah. And if we can like, you know, recognize that we have, that we all have this in common, if we can work together, we can strengthen one another. Yes. I noticed that you have your Justice for Kayla Moore yes. shirt on. Yes. And, uh at the recent Pack the Courthouse, which I was, I was so disappointed yes. and yet not surprised yes. that they came in full force, ready for a decision, mm -hmm. whether or not they would, uh, the court would hear the case, yes. only to hear that they would postpone it. Right. Mm -hmm. And we can see that this is a tactic to deflate them, mm -hmm. to make them, to disappear them yeah. uh, so that they lose their steam. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that uh, came across to me in um, in uh, Kayla's uh, experience, what mm -hmm. happened to her was that she was a woman. She was a woman of color and she was transgender. Yes. She had mental illness. And in particular with the mental illness, I uh, believe that uh, in her case and, and many others, mm -hmm. that they are exploiting this. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, they use the the way they um, express their symptoms as an excuse. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. they were violent. Yes, I could imagine. And yeah. it calls into question why aren't the mobile medics, the, um, the, there are support um, organizations that can be called in yes. to help, um, to, uh, yes, like what's the word, to, uh, to help um, bring the situation uh, to a calmer place so that the individual can be helped. Mm -hmm. And in her case, she was killed instead. Mm -hmm. And so, as Angela Davis mentioned, we can see that there are, in addition to that, mm -hmm. there are other factors that need to be addressed. Yes. yes. Absolutely. It's a lot. Oh, yeah. It's a yeah, lot it to take in. It is. And it's all the more important that it's shared and that folks, you know, listen and recognize that mm -hmm. and accept that this is happening and work to change it. Absolutely. And stand up against it. Yes. Whew. So, you, uh, Antoinette, you'd mentioned that there was another event that was coming uh, coming up that you wanted to, to speak about. The. Do you know? The. 
Nate Greer. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, excuse me. <laughs> so the um, Justice for Nate Greer yes. organization is coming up. They are having a vigil coming up soon. I believe it is uh, November 18th. Mm-hmm. Um, at 5 p.m. at Lake Merritt, and there is an event page on on Facebook, and um, and, and as you know, we know that um, there there are a lot of these. Unfortunately, there are a lot of these. Um, the need for vigils to keep mm-hmm. remembering these lost loved ones, mm-hmm. and so this one is coming up um, again at November 18th, and they oh, are um, they've asked if there are any. Um, Performers, uh, poets want to share pieces, uh, perhaps um, someone uh, who wants to perform a musical piece or mm. any kind of expression. Mm-hmm. Um, 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. 5 p.m. At, 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 at Lake Merritt. Mm-hmm. Um, at Lake Merritt. Okay. Uh, and so if anyone wants to uh, participate in that, um, they can uh, contact the uh, Justice for Nate Greer uh, page, the event page. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I, I uh, that is, um, that is something that many, many of the uh, families would like to um, invite. Mm-hmm. You know, to so that um, it's not just a somber mm-hmm. uh, remembrance, yes. but a celebration mm-hmm. of their life. Yes. And so, as these events continue to come, I hope that. Um, the community will continue to pour in the support in celebrating their lives. Yes, yeah. Um, speaking of um, the the positive things, I was wondering, Gilda, if you would like to speak a little bit about your son. Oh, wow, yes. My son, his birthday would have been the next day. He died the day before his birthday. He was out celebrating mm-hmm. that evening on his motorcycle. He loved vehicles. Mm -hmm. Rather, it was cars or motorcycles. As a kid, he loved riding bicycles. Mm -hmm. So that was his passion. Mm -hmm. Um, Having them fit, he purchased, he had a a license to purchase vehicles and sell them, resell them. Mm -hmm. And he would buy them and have them fixed up and sell them. But there there were vehicles in particular that he liked to keep. Mm-hmm. He would want to keep, and that was the motorcycle, the Harley. Oh yeah. And that was the um, 1968 Falcon mm-hmm. that's still parked in my driveway. Um, he loved vehicles. He loved his children. Um, people in the community spoke highly of him, with regards to the type of son he was, to the type of parent he was. He was hands-on with his children. Mm-hmm. The school was always glad to see him come because he supported that process so well. Mm -hmm. He believed in education. And he was the type of son that, I mean, he may not pick up the hammer himself, but he said, you know, mom, I know so-and-so who can fix this for you. If Mm -hmm. if he can't fix it, I know I can find somebody. So he was really um, the type of person you wanted to have around Mm. because he was always going to help you in any way he could. Mm. So that was my son. Yeah. I'd like to mention that on October 11th, um, just last month, uh, we honored his birthday Mm -hmm. by having a press conference right in front of CHP Mm. in Oakland. Yes. And uh, one of the, um, I did not expect 
this, but his partner of 14 years yes. was there with their children mm. and their granddaughter mm. whom yeah. he never met. And again, it isn't just one family member mm-hmm. who is affected oh by this, gosh. not mm-hmm. just a parent, perhaps. Yes. It is the entire family, family. Yes. that is impacted. Other families that were there who also gave their uh, experience, who told their stories, right. also had children. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there were there were many there were children. Families yes. There. yes, families, not just they were present. Yeah, and it came to me, and I'm not sure. I'm sure it's not just me. Many others that this should not be their story. Yes, it should not be anyone's story. story. But when we look around at these children. This should not be their story. Mm-hmm. They should not have to grow up mm-hmm. with right. this sad and tragic legacy. Mm-hmm. No doubt they're, they will be affected for their entire lives. And that's the other piece that's hard to speak on. The grief that I know my grandchildren are experiencing. Mm-hmm. The grief that I know his fiance is experiencing. They need a platform to speak that for themselves. Yes. Because when I begin to talk about their grief, it just it brings on a whole nother level of trauma for me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yes, yes. It's 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 tripled by knowing that my other son has been broken. Not only myself, my other children have been broken. My son, my grandchildren, Diallo's two children have walked through this life Mm -hmm. without their father. But because of the type of father he was, I'm certain that it's internal, Mm -hmm. but where do they take it? You know, who do they go to with this level of pain? Mm -hmm. You know, it's too much for the family nucleus to even begin to unravel, Mm -hmm. you know, so... I'm trying to encourage my my grandchildren who are still very young. Yes. You know, my this my grandson is 24 and my granddaughter is 19. Open Circle is there for them. I'm trying mm-hmm. to encourage them to be a part of of that process so they too can start to share their own story mm-hmm. about the loss of their father. Yes. Yes. We talk about Diallo a lot. He has a a niece that he never met. She was born a month after he died. Mm -hmm. And she really was the buffer in all of it because, Mm -hmm. you know, we were so torn apart that that joy that she brought kind of made us, stabilized Mm -hmm. us some. Yes. Because it it was so traumatic. To lose him. Yes. Yes. I know. It's... I can't imagine. Yeah, I really it's... cannot imagine. I try. Mm-hmm. We, the community, try. Mm-hmm. We do our best, but truly, mm-hmm. we cannot imagine. And again, that's why it's so. Um, it's just so important that the families come mm-hmm. together because they can imagine. Yes. They can imagine. They can comfort one another in yes. ways that we 
are not capable of doing. Yes. The younger generation want more than comfort. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate that. I'm older and wiser, but they have this fire inside of them that they want to see change, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think part of this movement has birthed a lot of young people because of that. Yes. No, we're not going to turn our heads or turn the other cheek, which Mm -hmm. is what was taught to a lot of people. We want to fight. And so they're looking for ways to fight back. Yes. Yeah, I'm seeing more and more young people voting and taking a stand against against systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, so much, huh? Yeah. Yes. Yes. We need to take deep breaths. Yes. I appreciate so much. Um, what you shared so thank you so much you're welcome mm-hmm. <sighs> yes okay so coming back to open circle i would just like to mention that we meet generally on the fourth sunday of the month at the omni commons in oakland and the address is 4799 shattuck avenue and we invite you all to come Oh, the time is 3.30 to 5.30, and it's a potluck occasion, and so um, we love to start off by um, breaking bread, as it is said, together, and uh, because, well, you know how uh, many times when you invite people over to your house for for dinner, for meal, um, you may have the biggest living room in the world, Mm -hmm. but where do people gather? Mm -hmm. They gather in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Yes. on the table. Yeah. Right. And so that is something that we uh, really enjoy at Open Circle. Um, I just want to mention that the next two months, uh, this month and next month, uh, since they fall on uh, weekends where many people are celebrating or observing holidays, mm-hmm. that we will be meeting on the third Sunday. Mm-hmm. So it will be on uh, November 20th this month. Okay. And I can't December remember the 18th, date. I December 18th. Okay. So that'll December be 18th. the third Sunday. Uh, of each month and then in January we will resume our fourth Sunday (laughs) and uh, it's always good to check out our community page which again is uh, uh, Open Circle uh, Families United for Justice Mm -hmm. and which we will post uh, our current schedule and uh, agenda and uh, as well as uh, many of as many of the uh, events that are coming up for the families and so if you check into our page um, Hopefully that'll keep you abreast of uh, what's going on. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you both so much. I really appreciate you coming in here and, and sharing what you've shared. And yeah. Thank you so um, much for inviting us to come and speak. It's an honor and a privilege. Oh, yeah. Yes, thank you. <sighs> Deep breath. Well. Yes. Do you mind? Um, again, we have... Uh, We've talked about some really heavy things yes. and overwhelming, and perhaps even overwhelming for our listeners. Yes, yeah. yes. And so would you mind if we just take a moment of silence? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank Can you I for just that. invite people to also take a look at the Facebook page, Rest in Power, Diallo mm-hmm. Neal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yes.
Rest Thank in power, Dio and Dio. Thank you both for being here. And, Thank uh, you for having me. Yes. Thank you so much. <sighs> All right. Well, we'll take a bit of a, a yeah. break, and we'll be back in a little bit.
And welcome back to the weekly review. Big, big thank you so much to Gilda Baker and Antoinette Gajero for coming on the show and speaking about Open Circle and speaking about their experiences. Um, just, I have so much gratitude and love and warmth for uh, folks who continue to and have experienced this and it needs to come to an end. And um, grateful that there are folks and organizations that are working to do that and provide healing for so many people that have been experiencing <sighs> these atrocities and also just wanting to um, um, offer some thoughts and peace and love for Diallo Neal and just love and for the families. And these are one of the times that words fall short and I recognize that's feels a bit silly being on the radio and we often have to do a moment of silence. And I feel that we should have that more often in every day. The world needs to slow down. And I was speaking with a friend yesterday and we we're talking about ancestral trauma and how there's what our ancestors went through and what we either inherit through epigenetics and also what's continuing to happen. And we need the world to, to stop. We need it to stop um, so we can begin to heal from what's already been taken from us and what's already happened and things continue to to move along and we need that we need that th those moments to to be there for one another and to heal <sighs> so um been playing some instrumental music in between the break that was uh Joey Fehrenbach with Delicate and the song before that was the uh album leaf with Malmo and uh, did open up the show with some Brad Religion and some Against Me. Saw them in, in concert. Uh, it's so difficult making transitions on the show sometimes. Uh, a friend of mine had an extra ticket and saw them in concert last week. And there was a mosh pit. And uh, I guess I'm old enough and wise enough to know that I kind of want it to be a little bit because I do like some, some con when I'm up for it, it's nice to have some body contact and then also not to get in the middle so I don't get elbowed and it wor worked out well. And just recognizing uh, how as a society, where there's, I heard the expression a few months ago, skin hunger, this idea that a lot of us are deprived of that. And I guess depending on whether or not someone is in a relationship and whether or not that's a physical relationship and people's associations with friends and family, how we don't consensually touch each other very much as a society as often as I think would be helpful for a lot of us. And we spend a lot of time touching our phones and not each other. And that makes me pretty sad when I look around. And I'm guilty of that, too. I'll be out and about, and especially if I'm having a, a difficult day. And I recognize reading would be a lot, much of a better option if I want to escape or just to read. And then instead, maybe I'll pull out my phone, which feels like a lot less interactive or not interactive, but just um, more like I feel with reading, I, I gain something from it most of the time. And oftentimes when I bring out my phone, it's more of an empty, hollow feeling. And just looking around, especially on public transit, seeing how many people I'll look up sometimes and whether or not I'm on my phone, but I'll look up and see how many other people are also on their phones and we're our, in our own universes. And I, and I get that. And I feel like there's this real big disassociation from one another and this isolation. And in a way, technology has kind of increased that. Like, yes, we can connect with one another and I'm really grateful for that, especially people who don't live nearby um, to be able to chat with people um, in the middle of the night, which I've been doing a lot of lately. 
um, depending on the hours that people are awake. And I know a lot of folks have insomnia and also just the, with the time differences in different geographical locations to be able to communicate with someone for free. And I get that we pay for electricity and that there's also surveillance. So I get that there's a catch, but also recognizing um, we're living in a time when we can communicate with someone who lives on the other side of the world instantly. And I think there are huge benefits to that. And I like to appreciate that because I, I rail on technology a lot. And maybe that's because I'm living in San Francisco where the, the culture and the business side of it seems to be very detrimental to, to people and to the neighborhoods and to arts. Um, and on the flip side, I also want to recognize the positive side to it is that really it does can, and it can connect people who live far apart. And I think that's beautiful. And even, I guess radio has been around for a long time, so there's that. But being able to share this and to spread it, to advertise it um, on the internet, I feel is, is a good thing. I hadn't sorted out too many articles for this week. I really wanted to pay as much attention and give as much time as possible to talking about Open Circle. And grateful that we were able to do that. I did mention Standing Rock earlier, and for the kind of FYI for folks who are interested in attending in person, uh, things to do um, to be aware of, I guess, if folks feel like joining. I do feel like I will read this pamphlet that I got um, at this bereavement group. And I do have to say um, something pretty awesome that happened in this group. There are eight of us, and I don't want to like give too much information. I'm not going to, but like, there's eight folks in the group, and five of us identify as LGBT. And this was not through an LGBT organization. And how what a nice kind of surprise and relief it is in a way, to be with folks who, uh, and yes, we've all had different experiences and different identities and different losses, and at the same time, there's something really um, nice about that. And part of the reason I moved back, I moved back to the Bay Area for many reasons, and part of it was this idea of LGBTQ community here, and unfortunately, many people have had to leave or have been priced out. And a lot of the folks who are who are here, I would say, are maybe, I don't know, could we say Scott Wiener supporters? And for folks who don't know, he's a pretty conservative Democrat who is a, represents the, the, he's a district supervisor. He's in the, he's in the Castro and uh, not quite Harvey Milk like in a lot of ways. And he supports a lot of anti-homeless measures and is really does a lot with big business and getting condos built and has, he's good on public transit. I'll give him that. And on the flip side is, been not so great with a lot of other issues and I was in a bad mood the other day and I was walking down market and there are three people wearing Scott Wiener shirts holding up signs outside one of the uh of the bars and I got so angry because one of the propositions that he supported which everyone should vote no on is proposition Q and that would make tents illegal so folks who are already marginalized people who are already out on the streets there's already 22 laws on the books in San Francisco there's more anti-homeless laws in San Francisco in this city than any other city in California. So the idea that San Francisco has this liberal reputation is sad. Anyway, so they wanted this other, Mark Farrell, who's this fucking, I mean, should I use the fascist word? Because I think if you try to criminalize homeless people, that's pretty fascist. Um, they have, they both supported this, this proposition, Prop Q. Vote no on Prop Q. Anyway, so I see these, these three dudes Young guys who are probably younger than me. Not that it should be about age, but I'm also oftentimes mistaken for being younger than I am, but whatever. Cis white men. Not to blame it all on them, but a lot of things can be. Uh, um, and if, you know, like if, if you're a revolutionary, that's one thing. But if you're kind of supporting the status quo, then that's a problem. 
so I won't I won't leave it up to their identities. I'll leave it up to their politics. What my problems with them? These the anyway these three folks were like holding these big wiener <laughs> Scott Wiener signs, and I was just so angry. And just it was a representation of like this is like this quote unquote supposedly gay safe neighborhood in San Francisco, and here are folks who are actively supporting criminalizing homeless folks, and forty percent of folks on the street are LGBTQ. A lot of them are also youth, like or maybe it's forty percent. Huge population are LGBTQ. A huge population are of the youth are LGBTQ. Many folks are veterans. Many folks are people of color. Many folks are people who have been in domestic violence situations. A lot of the folks, I don't even know I need to defend people on the street, but unfortunately we live in a fucking fascist culture where they're criminalized and we're cops. I'm not going to get into it. I already have gotten into it. I've reached that point. So I walk past these three, these three, these three young folks and they're holding wiener signs. And like, I get that. I appreciate that in an ideal world, we can have civilized conversations and have discussions. Say, excuse me, why do you support this candidate? I get that he's paying you. But seriously, why do you support this candidate? Do you understand that some of the legislature that they're pushing forward is really harmful to the community that he supposedly is supposed to represent? And this is true with a lot of people in power, not just him, but a lot of people in power. It's just really, really frustrating from, an, from a queer perspective when it's someone who says they're representing the community to then go against the community. And had I been more mild-mannered, and this happens to me a lot, I could have a, you know, step aside, hey, can we talk about this for a second? Let's talk about these actual propositions that he's supporting. Let's talk about the issues. But instead, I'm really angry, feeling really frustrated, and just to see these this thing right, I can't even, like, ignore it. I can't even stick my head in the sand. It's like, no, I can't even walk down the street without seeing this representation of what I feel is really wrong and really oppressive. And so I say to them, Wiener is horrible. Or maybe I said Scott Wiener is horrible, which I recognize is not, that's not really a, a conversation opener. And then I, I walked away and then they like started laughing at me or said something that was like very catty, like super catty. And, um, and then I gave, I gave them the finger and then I think they said something else. And, you know, I recognize that's not <laughs> really conducive to having a conversation. It's, you know, like just attacking one another doesn't lead to any progress. And at the same time, if these measures weren't there in the first place, it's like, I, I get, I get the idea of wanting to go high when other folks are going low, but what can be fucking lower than trying to criminalize the homeless even more than they already are? That's pretty fucking low. And I feel like a lot of these reactions are just rage and it's really hard to be mild mannered, to be articulate, to be, um, to be open to having a dialogue when so much of what we're facing is just really reprehensible behavior. That's my story. <sighs> I was going to get to some articles. Um, yeah, so election day is coming up. Again, as I mentioned, you can go to City Hall and vote in person. Um, he, I, I do want to read some positive articles. Queer Selena wants Sheriff Joe Arpaio, bitty bitty, gone, gone. And there are some people who do a lot of terrible things in the world, and I try to forget about them aside from just wishing they weren't in power. But uh, one is this the sheriff. So this article comes from Fusion. Phoenix, and this was written by Jorge Rivas. Phoenix, the campaign to oust Republican Sheriff Joe Arpaio has a new ally. He's a brown, queer, undocumented Latinx in drag who has just released a Selena-themed music video aimed at convincing Arizona's LGBTQ community to get out to vote against Arpaio. And let's play the video right now. Thank you. 
me mueve a un ritmo de mi comunidad Tomen todas sus parejas, todos vamos a votar Vota, vota ese noviembre para, para sacar al payo Todos lo podemos lograr y va, vamos a ganar This video is pretty awesome. I encourage everyone to watch it. Vota, vota con esta cumbia para que no nos deporte nadie. Se queda sentado todos. Vamos a votar. Siento algo que me mueve. Para sacar al payo todos lo podemos lograr y va, vamos a ganar. So you can check out the video on the Weekly Review page, which is facebook.com slash weeklyrev. Continuing on with the article, this is about putting the queer narrative in the forefront, said Jerse Arredondo, the star of the video, who goes by the stage name Frida Puta. The music video, a remake of Selena Quintanilla's, Quintanilla's uh, 1992 music video, Baya Esta Cumbia, and I apologize for my mispronunciation, is an all-volunteer labor of love. Arendo Arredondo's friends play the roles of extras and dancers and shot the video in their homes. It was produced by local music video director Mike Cassidy. Vote vote with this cumbia. Vote so they don't deport us. Arredondo, Arredondo sings in the music video. The video was released today thanks to the, the partnership that Arredondo 24 formed with the Bazta Arpeo campaign, which is trying to mobilize voters of color to help end the controversial sheriff's 23-year tenure. Ugh. Ugh. Sheriff Arpeo, 84, is trailing Democratic challenger Paul Penzone by nearly 15 points in an October Arizona Republic Morrison Cronkite news poll. The surveys were conducted as federal prosecutors announced they were filling 
they were filing a criminal contempt charge against Arpaio in a racial profiling case. Another poll conducted in August also found that 57% of Maricopa County respondents had an unfavorable opinion of the incumbent sheriff, despite the Arpaio campaign's insistence that they're doing well in internal polling, according to NPR. In any event, the Basta Arpaio campaign knows that the only poll that really matters is on election day, which is why they're pulling out all the stops with Arredondo's video just four days before the vote. If we are becoming the majority, we need to start addressing the issues facing some of the most vulnerable members in our community, addressing the needs of queer, trans, and Latinx folks, says Jerse Arredondo. Arredondo was born in Mexico and entered the United States illegally at the age of three with his mother. He can't vote, but says he's doing his part in, the ele in this election because he has felt targeted by the sheriff's officers, especially when they patrol the neighborhood with... Uh, especially when they patrol the neighborhood gay bars. <sighs> the idea behind Basta Arpeo campaign is that the people whom Arpeo has targeted are now targeting him. Oh, yeah. Ardondo started working on political campaigns in Phoenix a decade ago when he started organizing for the DREAM Act. He says he noticed a lot of local immigrant rights campaigns around the country being led by LGBTQ and gender nonconforming organizers that weren't able to bring their entire selves into their work. We couldn't be queer in some immigrant rights campaigns that we were leading, Arredondo said. Our queer and trans identities are always the first negotiating piece. We'll give you this, but this has to go. As a result, Arredondo says organizers like him were forced to start their own campaigns. He's currently working with Familia, queer, Familia Trans Queer Liberation Movement, a national LGBTQ Latinx rights organization. If we are becoming the majority, we need to start addressing the issues facing some of the most vulnerable members in our community addressing the needs of queer, trans, and Latinx folks. Awesome. Positive news. I'm, that's just the greatest. That's awesome. And more power to all those folks out there. And there is more of us than there are of them. And I think that's really important to think about. So super grateful for these folks who are, who are doing that. That's super awesome. I mentioned I was going to read a pamphlet. Or reading uh some notes from a pamphlet. I'm going to find that. And in the meantime, I'll put on some music. So I did start off the show with a song by Bad Religion uh, called Best For You. And that's pretty much just like everyone, sa everyone says they know what's best for you or everyone knows what's best for you. And I feel like on social media in the past, especially in the past few months, everyone's posting. There's a lot of talking and not a lot of listening happening. And everyone's like, you need to do this. You need to vote for this. If you're voting for this person, you're wrong. And I feel that coming on a lot of sides. And it's, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's just this idea that People are forcing their opinions on one another so much, and there's not a lot of time for uh, folks to, to step back a little bit. So uh, I totally get that. Um, I'm going to play some Dead Kennedys. <laughs> That'll calm the mood down. Just kidding. And then I'll be back uh, with the final piece. Stay tuned. Uh, Women's Magazine with Global Val will be coming up at 2 p.m. So stay tuned.
Welcome back. We got a quick, quick few things before we go. Uh, stay tuned because um, London Breed will be calling into Women's Magazine with Global Val around 2.15, so please stay tuned for that. Um, we, Val and I were just speaking, and there was a great I, the discussion. We're talking about how Scott Wiener is not so good for San Francisco, and by voting him for senator, he would leave San Francisco. So that's a conundrum that I know a lot of folks have had. So thank you, Val, for bringing that up. And that's kind of like, oh, uh, what do we do? Okay, that's not a very thorough thought, but there we go. So some possible manifest... This is a, taking on a totally different note. Got this handout, which is awesome. Some possible manifestations of grief. And everyone grieves. It's a fact. Uh, so one is like... One page is like for shock, like the first thing. And so cognitive manifestations, thinking. And I'll be... I guess replay this, because this will be a lot. And I guess an image would be easier to, to look at. But I feel... Um, to understand behaviors, it's important. So cognitive manifestations or thinking that happen when you're experiencing shock from grief. Uh, slowed and or disorganized thinking, slowing of thought, suicidal thoughts, wishes to join deceased, uh, seeming unaffected. Affective manifestations or feeling would be psychic numbness or apathy, blunting, which I'm not sure uh, what that is exactly, um, outbursts, euphoria, hysteria, or unaffected. Somatic manifestations, like body sensation or function when you're experiencing the shock, uh, could be physical numbness, feeling of unreality, like being dazed, feeling of being out of one's body, hypoactivity, and hyperactivity. As far as social relationships and interaction go when you're experiencing shock from grief, it could be passive, it could be active, unaware of others, acutely sensitive, talkative, or withdrawn. 
The psychodynamics and coping mechanisms, or defense, uh, avoids news of overwhelming loss by denial, intellectualization, or depersonalization. And some caring and helping responses for someone dealing with grief who's in shock can be to assist in gathering needed information, provide for safety and support, meet daily needs, and help identify priorities. Moving along. Next stage. I am really familiar with this stage. The protest stage, uh, I mean, really, in grief. So some cognitive manifestations, thinking, would be preoccupation with thoughts of deceased, searching, rumination, dreams of the deceased, uh, misperceives stimuli to, to, Im- to, I guess, image deceased, or maybe imagine the deceased, uh, sense of presence of deceased, loss of faith, and egocentrism. The effective manifestations or feeling while experiencing protests for grief, of grief, protesting the grief would be sadness and anguish, loneliness, feeling abandoned, fear, panic, anger, rage, relief, ambivalence, irritability, guilt, yearning, longing, and rejection. The somatic manifestations, bodily sensation or function, uh, physical distress would include chest pains, abdominal pains, headache, nausea, GI upset, change in appetite, weight change, sleep disturbances, fatigue, susceptibility to illness. The social relationships or interaction that you experience when you're protesting grief could be overly dependent, seeking help, withdrawn, irritable, mood swings, unpredictable attempts to replace loss. The psychodynamics, coping mechanisms, and defense in dealing with in the protest stage of grief resist loss's impact through projection, introjection, identification. Now, the caring and helping responses while dealing with grief could be to expect intense feelings, uh, avoid self-harm, encourage naming and expressing feelings, telling the story, journal keeping, exercise, encourage positive self-talk, and relaxation. And again, this comes from the, uh, the Bay Area Jewish Healing Center, so thank you. I haven't asked them if I can share this, but I'm sharing it because information should be free, and I think this will be helpful for everyone. Next, the disorganization stage uh, of grief. Cognitive manifestations, the thinking, could be um, when you're disorganized due to the grief, uh, confusion, aimlessness, forgetfulness, slowed thinking, loss of interest, lowered self-esteem, focus on memories, lower attention span. The effective manifestations or feeling could be sadness, despondency, loneliness, anxiety, meaningfulness, uh, lethargy, apathy, lethargy, apathy, feeling of unreality, intense anguish, deprivation, vulnerability. The somatic manifestations, bodily sensation or function, and in the disorganization stage of grief could be adopting the deceased's traits, mannerisms, restlessness, agitation, susceptibility to illness, accident prone, sleep disturbances, appetite disturbance. Next, social inter- social relationships or interaction while you're in the disorganized stage of grief. Withdrawn, avoid others, lack of initiative, lack of interest. The psychodynamics and coping mechanisms, uh, or the, the defense, can be it integrates loss into new life patterns, redefines self through uh, redefines self by thorough review of lost relationship and setting un- and settling unfinished business. And the caring and helping responses to someone who's in the disorganized state of grief can be to help deal with thoughts, feelings, behavioral adjustments, to work through loss and meet future with hope, be an active listener, help to meet basic needs if necessary and then finally comes the reorganization stage which let's all hope we <laughs> it'd be nice to get to so the cognitive manifestations the thinking um when you're in the 
reorganization stage of grief can be to develop realistic memory of the deceased, uh, pleasure in memories, renewal of faith, returns to competent functioning, new meaning in life, uh, redefined self-image. The effective manifestations, the feeling side, can be a wide emotional range, transformation of values and beliefs. The somatic manifestations, the bodily sensation and function, can be to return to previous level of physical functioning. The social relationships, the interaction stage of reorganization of grief, can be new or renewed social relationships. The psychodynamics and coping mechanisms, the defense, can be to resume old coping pattern, um, adopt new ones to fit new life patterns and self-image. And the caring and helping responses to someone who's in the reorganization stage of grief can be to encourage renewed engagement with life, allow for development and new identity, and to foster independence. Huh. So that's a lot. Feel free to rewind. Um, I've been looking at these a lot, and as someone, I've lost about four people in the past, I guess, 13 months. Um, I kind of identify with a lot of these stages and a lot of these behaviors. Some I was more aware of than others, and other ones I was, just to see it written out, I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing, or this is the situation I was in. I just heard the news, and I was in shock, so this is how I was responding. And it's really helpful to have the language, I think, to talk about the behavior, and everyone experiences grief, and I feel like the more we can do as a culture to to talk about it, the easier it'll be for us to heal. So, um, uh, I'm gonna be, I'll end on a, a, a trans, <laughs> super cool trans song, um, as a trans person, always happy to play trans artists, and so against me, um, the song I opened up the show with, one of the songs was uh, Transgender Dysphoria Blues, and this is another one, True Trans Soul Rebel. It's poppy, it's punky, it's happy. Um, so to everyone out there, regardless of your gender identity, identity is plural, anything and everything, here's, a, here's some against me. I'll be away next week because my birthday is on election day. And for my birthday, I'm going to get the fuck out of the country. I haven't left the country in nine years. So maybe that's my testament to Obama. Um, although I have to admit I have voted green while he was in, you know. But maybe it's just like, well, okay. Um, Obama's here. I'll stick around. So I'm grateful to be. That's my plan. Um, I will not be here next week. Hopefully, we'll 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 be around the week after. So have a safe election day. Have a safe every day. Be kind to each other. Stay tuned because Global Val is coming up in just a few minutes, and I'll talk to you all in two weeks. <laughs>